Joining forces and combining forces. Thank you for joining the I Love South Orange County podcast and also the uh, ESBC betting and gambling podcast, financial podcast. And today, what we're going to call this episode is the Mental Health First Aid Kit where every Friday we're going to have Dr. John come in and we're going to get real and raw and we're going to help you make money and we're going to help you with basic mental health skills that we should all have. Now, uh, Dr. John, you did a great job last week. We gave people a lot of great functional information you can use right now to make money and to make your life better. So I'm going to usually ask it at the beginning, but I'm going to ask it again to you so audience knows who you are. Uh, who the hell are you, and why the heck should we listen to you? Great point. Great thing for say. First and foremost, I used to work for uh, Tony Robbins and Chet Holmes for Business Breakthroughs. Um, I've been doing mental health since 1987, so for the past 33 years. Um, I uh, worked residential, I worked with um, adolescents and teens, I worked with adults, I worked with um, um, drug abuse, alcohol abuse, I worked with the SPMI, that is the severely persistently mentally ill, and I also do a program for parents and teens. Um, I uh, run nine different companies right now, which is a challenge, but it's fun, um, and I practice what I preach. I uh, do my ritual each and every morning so I can get myself in the best state possible. That's who I am. That's awesome. And that's why we have you on here. Uh, Tony Robbins is one of the most richest, most successful uh, businessmen of all time. And we have two. We've had five best-selling books on the podcast. All right? And it's all – we're going to put them all in one page. We're going to call it the motivational page where you can – get as much knowledge and information as possible. I have a, a master's of business administration. I have a master's of business science. Uh, I got a restaurant in 1999, 98 in uh, Pinellas Park, Florida. I sold it for 600 grand, 2003 when my mom passed away and I bought it for $5,000. So we've gone a long way. And in this podcast, what we're gonna talk about is how to be mentally strong. So for Dr. John to be 56 years old, run nine businesses and uh, a world and a nation that we've both been in George Floyd's shoes. And I would venture that the reason we got out of those situations is because of being lucky, fortunate, and good, but good parenting skills. And more or less, what have we learned about being a mentally 
strong individual. So uh, I, first we're gonna start with what my definition of mental strength is. Dr. John will piggyback on that. We'll talk about uh, how my mother, the, and I have a blog on my mom, the different struggles she had. She came to the United States with just the clothes on her back and she left with 10 million liquid assets, right? So very fortunate, looking good. Too much is given, much is expected. So I saw that up close, benefited from that up close. But what makes me different than other successful people, and John, the same is that we're willing to share. Most people that have our level of success do not share it with others. We do. So this is a big opportunity for you. Uh, mental strength. So my definition of mental strength is, I hate cursing, right? But it, the situation that happened with George Floyd and even before with Ahmad in Georgia and with the lady in uh, Kentucky, coronavirus, a lot of these things, man, kind of jump on you. That Sometimes you have to use a curse word to make a point, and I hate cursing. But for being mental strength is, and it kind of links in with faith, right? So mental health strength is when things are currently fucked up or screwed up, right? That you focus, and it has changed for me. It's been a subtle change. But getting into math, science, and predictable results. So if you eliminate variables and co-variables, it ensures a result, right? We talk a lot about that in the financial podcast and in the sports betting podcast, right? Same thing with mental strength. So my definition of mental strength has changed from when things are really messed up now that you focus on a positive outcome, right? You can't control if it's gonna be a positive outcome or not. So I've changed it to when things are really screwed up in the present, right? And there's a lot of pressure on you that you focus on a high probability outcome that you leverage as much as possible of what is under your personal control. What do you think, Dr. John? Mine's okay. I agree with you. And here's how I see mental strength is knowing the end result. So for example, your outcome is to buy a house, right? right? The end result is that you want to sign the papers and you have the house. Right. Here's the challenges. People have to understand was they're going to have, it's going to rain on your parade. You can hear and see, I'm a little bit different from Josh. I love cussing, but today I'll be a little bit nicer today, right? Here's the biggest challenge, right? You have to figure out a game plan, figure out the, is the reason why you want to do this stuff, and just do it. There's going to be challenges. There's going to be problems. Things are not going to go right, and that's okay. Expect it. Right. It's all about the outcome and to change your approach until you get it. If this way is not working, you change your approach until you get it, until when, until the damn thing get done, until you win. Right. Most people, what they do is they have a big goal. Or excuse me, they have a dream. There's a difference between a dream and a goal. A dream is I had a client, I want to make $10 million. He's making three. I said, okay, what's your game plan? I don't have a game plan. I said, well, it's a dream. 
He said, oh, John, I'm praying. Praying is great, but you have to still take action. What's your action? I said, what's your plan? What's your purpose? Why are you doing this? Come up with a hundred reasons why. And then do it. And now the stuff's going to fail. In business, as we call it, we A, B, and test it. We see if it's working. If it's not working, we change it. Until when? Until it works. Right. Mental strength is strong in anything of that you do, from business, from just being married is a challenge thing. Raising your kids is a challenge thing. Right. And here's a big thing people have got to understand, man. It's, it's going to be hard. You're going to not get what you want in your allotted time. But the concept is you keep on doing it until, until you win. Does that make sense, Josh? That makes absolute sense. And we have two audiences. We have our podcast audience. And thank you so much uh, for growing the podcast and for telling your friends and neighbors. And the fact that since we started the podcast, that we've grown each and every week. It's phenomenal. And I think it's it's really a testament to the fact that we're raw and honest, and this is collaborative. So if you have something that we're wrong about, you say, hey, Dr. John, you're wrong. Josh, you're wrong. Tell us about it. We want to learn. So picking back on what uh, Dr. John said, right, we talk a lot about decision analysis, and I'll put it right here, straight from the book, right? You have to have a process using science and data, like they say about COVID-19. And here is the process in a nutshell. And we'll put a copy to this in the, on the uh, episode notes. People can click on it. This is decision science, right? So decision science is what Google uses. It's what uh, the top Fortune 15 companies do to make a decision. Not too far from my desk is business model generation. These are tried and tested true different styles of business models. So I have three businesses and they both go through two processes, right? They go through the first process, which would be the academic tried and tested models. And then what happens in real life, right? Because one of the things about sports betting that's great for uh, business owners is to use business financial concepts to make the decisions. But sometimes, and this is where it ties into mental strength, sometimes you have to make the correct decision without having all of the information, especially if you're middle class or poor, right? Uh, you don't have, you haven't gone to the best schools. You don't have the best consultants. You don't have access. So you're going to have to use math. You're going to have to use common sense to come up with the right decision, right? Sports betting, 52.5% is break even. We're at 70 to 80%, and we make money within that margin. David Tepper, hedge fund manager worth $25 billion, just bought the Carolina Panthers. He was 58% picking stocks, 25% average over a 20-year managing $100 billion, right? 
So they use decision science, and you have to make decisions, right? Without so, having all the information. And that's where mental strength comes in. So can you break it down? I mean, I sure. understand what you're saying. Yeah. And, and it sounds good yeah. just by you saying it. But if, if, but if you're not going to break it down so I can actually apply it, sure, it's just words. So right. what do you mean by that? So specifically, it would be, uh, I'll, I'll use sports betting because we have the very successful sports betting podcast. The Jets are playing the L.A. Rams, right? Okay. I'm not a coach on the Jets. I'm not a player on the Rams, right? So what do I do? I find out where they're playing. I start doing my research. So the first rule of betting is never bet your own team. Second rule of betting is always do your research. And I am shocked, right, as a business consultant, how much money I have made just doing my research. Sometimes I get hired as a financial guy. Sometimes I get hired as a management HR guy, right? And almost 90% of the time, what I've got hired for wasn't what ended up making me the most money on that project. Because the first thing I do is background checks, right? First thing I do is I research the personality, right? Uh, you know, the disc profile. There's four different types of personalities. You have a dominant personality. Then when they want me to email them, they want me to email them seven to nine words. Sometimes you have an eye, right? They're influencers. They want a whole book. Then you have uh, S that I call submissives. Uh, and then you have C for compliance. If it's a C person and I've done my research, when I send in my long email, because they like long emails, they want references. What law? Because they're lawyers, accountants. What laws are you using? If it's uh, CPA or accounting, I put in there, this has been GAP certified. And they're like, oh, scat search. I don't even do gap. See what I'm saying? So you always do your research, right? Okay. To get as much information. So the Jets are playing the Rams I play as, as I do all my research. I when you pick a stock, right? You have to know about the management team. So what do I do? Who is the coach for the Rams? Who's the general manager? What's the owner's motivation? Some owners, because you, when you go to the playoffs, you make less money. Does this coach want to go eight and eight? Does this owner want to go in eight and eight and make the most money possible off attendance revenue and, and TV revenue and not go to the playoffs, right? So that would mean that the home game, right, is different from the Jets who has an owner who has $50 billion and care less if they go to the playoffs because I read – and this is a lifestyle hobby team for him. And he wants to go to the country club and says, oh, my team's in the Super Bowl, da, da, da. And then I look at the numbers, right? Now, I'm not on the team. I'm not a coach of the team. But I know a lot, right? And I'm, I can make a business decision, right, based on the information that I have. Now, I know that I'm not on the team. I'm not a player on the team. I don't have all the information. So I have to ask myself, and I did 13 years ago, how many times if I get this right doing this research, which I'm doing anyways, right? So when you're an owner, 80% of your time has to be in revenue generating activities. So I have to measure, right, the opportunity cost of watching this game. And I 
learned, right, to do my research that if I watch 10 games and I accurately predict the outcome of six games correctly, I'm monetizing my time watching. I'm making money watching. But then you have psychological values, right? Always talk about the value equation. Value equation is uh, psychological. And I'll bring out the board to show people because I was having that with my clients all the time. You always have to have the value equation in your brain when you're talking to clients. But for me, right, making this decision, psychological factors plus functional factors divided by time and money equals value. So by getting six, because I don't have all the information, right? If I had all the information, I would get 10 out of 10, but I don't. So I'm not going to get 10 out of 10 games, right? What is the percentage I have to do to make money, right? And it's over 52.5%. So accurately predicting the outcome of six of 10 football games or sporting events, I am monetizing myself watching games, right? Okay. So uh, another specific example that worked out for me was when I had the restaurant. When I first started the restaurant, the Coke guy fleeced me, right? And sold me five cents for every 12, you know, 12 ounce Coke. I didn't know any better. I thought I could sell it for a dollar, right? So I made that decision without having all of the information, right? because I knew I can make a hard margin. As I grew in the business, the Pepsi guy started laughing at me, right? And then I learned from my mom, that's not what people say, it's their body language. And from his body language, I knew that I was getting ripped off. And this was like a year later, the Pepsi guy goes, oh, how much are you paying? And I'm, you know, being the dummy that I was, I was like, oh, I'm paying, um, Five cents. Oh, five cents. And I could see him, his body language, his eyes said, oh, wow, what a stupid idiot sucker. He's like, I could do it for 2.5 cents. And I'm like, oh, okay, da, da, da. And I'm like, man, I need to do my research. And I re- ended up doing my research that at the time I sold the restaurant, uh, it was 0.02 that I was uh, buying a Coke can for versus 10 times more when I started. So sometimes in business and life, you have to make a decision without having all the information. So what can a poor guy do, right? You know, it's, it's a study, right? Yeah. And that's the big story of Obama. Obama came through education because right. that's the only thing poor middle-class people have is an educational path. Yeah, and so I do things similar to you. First, I and do my homework. homework. Right. I have to figure out what my homework is. I have to know the client. I look on social media. I do my homework, right? And then I do a personality test like yours, but it's a little bit different. I go with if a person is visual, if a person is, is, is auditorial, and then if somebody is kinesthetic. Right. A visual people will speak is with their hands and very fast and point and very directly to the point. An auditorial person, right, they talk a lot, and sometimes they talk themselves out of the deal. A kinesthetic person is just have feelings across their hands, and they're so analytical. Right. Right? So what I do, and I figure out what the person is. When I can figure out all of that stuff and do and, and here and you mentioned on a great point, Josh. You have to do your homework. If you don't do, if you don't do your homework, you can't make a decision. 
if you don't know the person, so when I'm talking to a person on the phone, right, I'm figuring out by the words they use, what are they? Are they a visual person? That's an auditory person, kinesthetic person. Sometimes people who are kin is kinesthetic, they go from kinesthetic to visual in a heartbeat. But you gotta figure out what they are by the questions you ask them. So I agree with you 100%. Doing your homework and doing your research and doing personality is gonna do a huge difference in how you actually make a decision. Right, making decisions without having all the information. So if you're in business, and I'll just go through it real quick. I pinned this on my Twitter. So live by it, believe in it. Psychological factors plus functional factors divided by time and money, right? So this money is gonna be good because I'm monetizing the game. Psychological factors, and this is key too, right? And I'm enjoying the game, win or lose, because I know I can lose four and still make money. Functional factors, right? And I'm proud of this, right? Because since 2011, my wife has not bought gasoline. Almost a decade from something other than betting money. Or recently it was an expensive purse. I'm like, money, honey, we got enough money in savings, in checkings, right? We're not going to tap into our retirement account or the money that she makes from labor, right? But she goes to the betting money. And I asked her once, why, right? You know? Uh, and she's like, because it makes me feel better, right? Psychological factors. So that's functional and psychological factors in me having a system for making decisions when you do not have all of the information, right? And sometimes it's not something like, you know, sports betting, just institutionalizing our country and that I've had a system and I made money for for over a decade. Sometimes it's a hard business decision that you're gonna have to, and honestly, the coronavirus. We did it last week, we'll do it this week too where we go over the numbers in Orange County with the coronavirus, and we know we're being lied to with the numbers. So we have to figure out the truth on the basis of how they're lying to us, right? Like the, the Pepsi guy, I had, really I made more money off body language than what he said, because I knew that, you know, two and a half cents was still getting ripped off by his reaction, right? And that's skills you get. And I think the blessing of being poor and being disadvantaged is that you become more resourceful, right? And I'm going to go through an analogy. And I wrote, it took me 18 years to write my mom's obituary. And one of the main stories that I always go back to as far as mental strength, both my mom and dad, was in 1966, my dad's a Pentecostal preacher in Cuba. And he gets put in a concentration camp for three years. My sister was four and my brother was six. My dad is gone. And my mom, her dad owned a farm in a general store. Fidel Castro took that away. Suddenly she's getting not enough money, support from the communist government. And my dad's gone. How did my mom uh, demonstrate mental strength, right? That everything's gonna work out. My dad, the way they did it, when they put a gun to his head, he puts his hands into heaven and said, 
God, please take care of my wife and two kids. I'm coming to see you, right? He, he had a faith, right? Faith is the belief in something uh, wished for, but not seen, right? Hope for. Me, it's different, right? Man's mental strength, they take the hope and the wishing out, and you put high probability actions for hopefully a high probability result. I'm more cynical than that, right? He's more, yes, it's going to happen. I'm like, there's a high probability that's going to happen. Maybe what I can be sure of is tracking and putting my highest effort and intelligence into harnessing energy to what is under my control, right? So what does my mom do? My mom's a very religious woman, right? Hard faith, very strict growing up. But what does my mom do? She breaks the law. She's in Cuba and she starts asking people for fabric so she could make into dresses and split with the people that are illegally giving her fabric. And she sold dresses and my brother and sister lived well until my dad got out. And in 1971, they came uh, from, the United, from Cuba to the United States. That's how, you know, from that mindset, she came to the United States with only the clothes on her back, and she left the earth with a funeral of 500 people. Uh, most of them I barely knew who they were all crying because my mom would let them live in a condo for free and give them free food for four months until they got themselves. She was a, her own little welfare department. So based on that story, what you know about mental strength, because you have the same story about mental strength. You have 10 brothers and sisters in Indiana, and you overcame, uh, you know, disabilities and all kinds of, you know, yeah. racial discrimination. You, you've overcome a lot of stuff. So what's your kind of take on mental strength and then specifics, right? How how my mom overcame it with mental strength and, and, and how you've overcome it with mental strength right. and even your parents as well. So let's go backwards on the statement that yeah. you made uh, prior. You said that I'm, in the, I, I, I'm just about this like rah-rah stuff and, it, and if it'll be done, I am, but you gotta also have a game plan. Right. You gotta, you, you, and you have to also track and measure you know, what you're doing to see if you're getting closer or further away. Yeah, absolutely right. I do have the mindset because I believe of the of that we can do anything of which you got of oh, that's gonna strengthen us. Whatever we do, we have to put in the work, right? Overcoming mental strength, right? I was I had an honor and a privilege of having nine siblings. I have six sisters and three brothers. Mom and dad was married for sixty-seven years just before they passed away. Dad passed away in two thousand fourteen, uh, ninety-one. My mother passed away two years ago at 86, right? Um, what I saw them do is, right? So, of course, I told my story last week. Uh, I had a severe stuttering problem. None told me I never fat as graduate eighth grade, and she called, she called me as retarded. I took the words that my mom and dad said and, hold, and held on to them and overcame this. Uh, matter of fact, at the age of 28, I went to see this big guy, bigger than life, named Tony Robbins. Right. And he completely, totally changed my life. And I'm not saying this to pump the guy up, but I started to work with him. Right. Because I wanted to do the exact same thing. And I overcame a lot of different situations. But as a kid, I saw my mom and dad imagine having 10 children. 
Right. Imagine sending them all through private school, high school, college, and, and as we all graduated. But here's the cool thing about it was, that was their outcome. Mom said, listen to me, you're going to college, I don't give a damn what you do, I don't care what you say, you're going. And I was like, mom, I want to take care of you. She said some colorful language, she right. says, you're going to school. And she said that to everybody. But what I did was, right? Well, that, that's, that's mental strength. She's, she's focused on the she's high focused. probability result. Yes, right. And, and here's the big thing. I saw my siblings, right? And to me, I, I, I think they're idiots. Right. I saw them graduate. I said, man, if they can graduate, I can graduate. Because I, because I saw it. It was like, okay. That's mental strength right there. It is. It, it truly, no, here it goes. Josh, I didn't know how I was going to do it. Right. I'm going to be honest with you. I was never the smartest. I was the most persistent. I was figuring out, see, when I was going to college, right, and here was my outcome. It's not about the books. Right. It's about how the professor thinks. So I talked to the professor, his mindset of philosophy or business. And then when I take my class, I focus on how he would think, not how I would think. Right. right? So I had to come up with, I was never the smartest guy in the world. I was just more, I was the most persistent. Right. I, here it goes. I studied harder. I worked harder. And nobody's going to outwork me because that's just how my brain is. I'm just competitive. Right? But what I see people right now is when they have goals and dreams, they give up. Now, let me tell you, man, I came from Indiana. I saw racism. I, knew, I mean, I saw when I was a kid, oh, my God, uh, I was walking maybe third, fourth grade riding a bike, and I had friends of mine tease this guy, and I, know, I did not know that they were teasing him, right? Right. The guy caught me because I didn't know what was going on, and he, he, was, he was this white guy, probably about 34 years old, right? Right. He punched me in my stomach. No big deal. I went back home. Mom and Dad, we called the cops, and the cops told me that they didn't see it, so nothing happened. I said, wow. Eighth grade year, I went to California, um, my seventh grade, going to eighth grade, I was, um, I, my brother was in Orange County, and it was beautiful. And I came back home, going back to school in my eighth grade year, played basketball. I knew this guy. I knew these guys. And I was, was going to run outside, so I was trying to go home. Right. I was running back home. So there was like an alley to get to, get, to get to my house, which was really a dumb thing to do. Right. I was running. I saw the guys running right behind me. I'm like, man, why are these guys running? I'm like, okay. I'm going to cut them off and just get to the house quick. I ran to the alley, man. Those three guys in front of me and two guys behind me. And they said, it's giving you money. I thought the guy was joking. Right. I played basketball with the guy. I said, what do you mean? Man, this other guy that I never saw, he pulled out a gun. Mm. And the guy put it to my damn head. He said, give me my money. And I was going to give him my And he clipped it, the gun didn't go off. He got my money, he took the gun, and he shot it off. I went back to the cops, told him about it. I even told him the guy's name. Do you know what it is? Guess, guess what he said? Since we didn't see it, nothing happened. Right. So it's black on black. Now, now if this was anybody else, it wouldn't have took place. But it, but it was a black on black. So it's before I got to the age of 14, I had a white guy that hit me in, is in my stomach. Okay. Black on black crime that I knew the guys who put a gun into my head. And the cops said that there was nothing wrong. But when I told myself, and even, as, and, and, even my, and even my parents said it, some people have different rules. It's not everybody. So it's not all cops that are bad. 
Some of the cops, they get to stuff and they don't really care about it or else they're trying to get a paycheck. So I'm not saying all cops are bad, but what I went through when I was growing up, I don't think anybody else should actually go through that because of the challenge and of, of, then of the mindset. You know, even back when I was a kid, when I got robbed the first time, I was even scared to go outside because I was thinking that someone was actually going to rob me. Someone's actually do X, Y, and Z. And the sad thing about it, we said in Michigan City, Indiana, it was really a nice place to be at. Small t city, about 50,000 people. We're about 45 miles from Chicago. So, but the, is the outcome is that I had an outcome. My parents had an outcome. You call it is mental strength. I call it is that they have, a, that you have to have an end result to make it happen. Well, that, that's part of the, the mental strength is having that focus on the, on the positive, high probability, positive end result. It's something that you touched on, and for people watching, they could see it's the 80 20 rule. And this is a huge rule in management. When you start uh, in management, it's a big, a lot of things you do right away, right? But sometimes, most of them, I have a list of 20 things that I've gotten through the years that helped me at the restaurant. Uh, that have helped me uh, with uh, business consulting case. I have 20 items that every business should do, and I never get past three or four with clients because there's certain things that happen. So sometimes I've made the most money doing research and then the 80-20 rule that gets us to, and we'll close with this, we're going to break down from A to Z, and we'll have it on the video for those watching through the stream, and for the podcast, we'll, we'll describe it in detail. And it's the George Floyd situation. And we're going to discuss it through the lens that we've been talking about. We're going to put everything in there, right? Our whole experience, race stuff, all of it. We're going to put into it as we discuss what happened. But one of the main things that I look at right away is when I go to a company and I do my research, part of that is reading the HR files. And I have uh, in the back uh, Jack Welch, right? Jack Walsh used to fire the lower 10% of his employees all the time. I've never fired anyone. I don't believe in it. I really do not believe in firing him. I really don't. I think some people self-select and leave, which is fine. But if you're clear about your values and what expectation, what the value they provide is. And sometimes uh, with business owners, you see the value that certain employees provide and you say, hey, you can keep this person on. Just know this charity after a certain point. You're doing this person a solid because they have four kids, but their value is this. You can do whatever you want, but this is the value. So in the George Floyd situation, when the black African-American chief of police comes on there talking, first thing that pops into my mind is, you didn't read the file on this guy that he's already killed 13 people and has 18 complaints? And he's still on the street as a patrol officer. If I was there and I kind of felt guilty, maybe I should be going for, a, you know, a chief of police jobs. They pay well. Maybe I should do it, right? Because I will read the HR files and say, this guy's killed 13 people, right? And we talk a lot on the Tuesday pod, uh, uh, how other people make decisions, right? And decisions are usually made through political and financial purposes. 
So from the political standpoint, right, you can't just fire them. There's a union. So you go in and you say, hey, for your own benefit, you've killed 13 people, which is more than 80% of soldiers, of people in the Marines, right? You have a lot of trauma, right? And because of all this trauma you have and the 18 complaints you have, it's a liability, we are going to give you a desk job or school resource officer at a high school or something. Even that was kind of dangerous. But this guy should not have been on the street. So I think the chief of police should be, uh, well, I, well, I queue up the video so people can watch. What are your thoughts on that, Dr. John? I think that being a leader, you got to make the right choice and the right call. Um, I also With sometimes that, not having all the information you would Yeah, but I think that they should have done the research. I know it might, it might be a big place, but you have to still do your research. Right. And just like you mentioned, if you do your research, uh, you know what's going on. And a lot of times, if he's going to get away with 13 murders, he didn't get a consequence. Right. So his consequence was that, okay, he'll be, somehow in some way, he would get, this would like go away. And I would say 13 murders, period. I in, mean, in this guy's case, yeah. all 13, uh, we call them murders. Let's not, we don't have enough information, right? Well, so we'll say deaths, uh, deaths. 13 deaths. Those 13 deaths that he was involved in all happened to be uh, minorities. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, so when you have all of that stuff, man, it's, it's crazy, but it just tells me that the chief did not do his homework. Right. All right. That's so, it. so that's the, and, when, and remember, the topic is mental health, right? So we have this white cop. He has his knee on his neck. All right. So let's break down from the beginning. And I'll admit, I haven't done as much research as I can, but it seems like some people called the police on him and his charge was forgery. Yeah, so it was forgery of $20. Now, here's my theory about when I, is when I saw that one. Right. I said, where did, where did he get the money from? Right. Maybe somebody gave it to him. We don't know any of the details, but for 20 bucks to get- But forgery of what? Was it a check or? No, so he gave uh, a fake $20 bill. Oh, a counterfeit. A counterfeit, yes. So, so it wasn't even forgery, it was no. counterfeit. Is a counterfeiting, right? So I mean, he was being charged with the wrong with the wrong crime. And I mean, so my biggest thing about it: what happened if someone would give me twenty bucks and then I pay the twenty bucks? People would say, "Well, will you try?" I'm like, "No." Irregardless, is that a death sentence? Exactly, and, and that's what I'm trying to say. I mean, that's not a way to kill somebody for that. For twenty dollars. Twenty bucks for life. Right. So okay, we're talking about mental health, right? Mental strength. Now, I threw a party once. It had thirteen hundred people. I was in my twenties. I made a lot of money. I wasn't allowed to have a liquor license because the mob, uh, actually the mob did this to me. They went inside the restaurant, put me face down and did stuff and said, hey, you can't have a liquor license. And I'm like, okay, my mom wouldn't allow me to have a liquor license. She would burn this place down anyways. She's religious. I'm more afraid of my mom than I am of you and you got a guts, my head. Right, so, this, so that was that craziness. So I had parties, right? And I had 1,300 people at this party, uh, 10 bucks all you can drink. So I made really good money. Me and my four buddies were leaving and it was four in the morning and we wanted the crowd to disperse, but you know, we weren't gonna do it. The cops came and dispersed the crowd at like four in the morning. Cop grabs me, throws me up against the wall and he takes his elbow 
and hits me in the back as I have my hands up. All right, have my hands up. He 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 elbows me, and uh, Eddie Guzman. He might be here listening to me. He sent me a face uh, Facebook message the other day. He was there. The same thing happened to him. Dax was there. Dax is our favorite. All these guys that remember this. And I remember, and Eddie Guzman is now uh, in the leadership of the police department in Seminole, Florida. And at the time, I remember that he had finished the police academy and had a lot of friends who were cops. And I'm actually going to return that because it's very interesting. The LGBT community uh that i feel and a lot of people also feel should be in jail so eddie i'm like eddie you finished the police academy you have a lot of cop friends why did he put his elbow in my back and he didn't just do it he's like hey man you want some action hey hey what are you doing what are you doing man you want some action and what he was saying was that he was trying to lure me into resisting arrest so he could then with his buddies beat me up or do whatever. <laughs> and I think a lot of these situations where I've been pulled over and had uh, instances with cops, I am now have so much gratitude I wasn't killed. Because I easily could have been killed. And I hate to say it, but when I look back at it, a couple of those times, humor got me out of it. Because I remember that time, he, not, he hit me like a couple times pretty hard in the back. And he looks at this beautiful white girl that was waiting for me because I was going to have sex with her later. And he's like, oh, is that your girlfriend? And I'm like, man, it depends whether you're a Nazi cop and you're going to hold it against me. And he started laughing. And who knows if that got me out of that, right? So... You've been in that situation. You can tell us about the times you've been in that situation. And your George Floyd, it, from what I read, I think he was high. And the other two guys in the car were selling him stuff. He's high. Here comes cops. What's your thought on mental health strength at that point? What do you do? Because he might have resisted arrest, which I think is irrelevant. Even if he did resist arrest, right at that point, you don't kill the guy. Well, resisting arrest, let's go technical, right? Resisting arrest does not carry a death sentence. I mean, so, so here's the biggest thing about it. We're trying to guess to figure out actually what took place, right? Right, so, and being in situations right, right. and having mental strength, right? right, right. Which is a high probability right, outcome, right. which is getting out of that exactly without right. dying. And so what I always do, right, and, and being in, in Indiana and going and be, living in Chicago, right, right. a lot, when I would go, when and we'll talk about Chicago too at the yeah. end. We'll close with that. Everybody talks about all, all the murders in Chicago. Right. Then when somebody, when I would have a cop that pull me over, right. First and foremost, my outcome is that I have outcome is to get back home. Right. That's the outcome. Second that's the mental thing, strength, right there. I'm going to get home. That's the outcome. The second thing about it is when he comes on in, right? What I do, right? Because I used to uh, do some training for um, the FBI, right? Right. So when I so when I get pulled over, I roll down all my windows. This is a cool secret. The reason why you roll down all it's your educational podcast. So this is good education for people. When you roll down all your windows, they think of that you're a police officer. Got it. So they're at ease now. Because that's what you do when you get trained. 
Right. So roll down all your windows. So then when he comes up there, I'm like, officer, is there a problem? And then I put my hands on the wheel. Right. So he can see me. Right. And if he wants me to get a wallet or anything off, I have, I'll ask him for permission. Right. Excuse me, sir. Can I put it there? Can my wallet's right there? What do you want me to do? I said, and I tell him, my outcome is to go back home. Right. What do you want me to do? Right. And I'm very nice. I'm very kind. I'm very, it's polite. I am not going to cuss the guy out. Right. I'm not going to talk about his mom, which I probably should, but I don't. Right. I am the most nicest guy in the freaking world. And the reason why is because I have an outcome. Right. I want to get back home. Right. And eventually when he gets over and, and then I drive off, this too shall pass. Right. Right. But when I see people, now, in his case, Mr. Floyd case, what I saw, what I saw, he did not resist. Only what I saw. Right. What They're going to say he did. That's why the, no, 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 the no. white DA came out and said there might be evidence of course. for not charging these guys. Of course. I mean, so here it goes. So let's even go back. Let's say that he is resisting. Right. Let's say that the guy was on his, um, the knee was on his, his neck, right? Right. Let's go for that. What, why didn't the rest of the three cops do anything about it? Now right. here it goes. And, and, I'll, and I'll switch the screen to talk about one of the cops because I'll share a story as well about what okay. a friend of mine who's a cop talks about women in general and LGBT community cops. I mean, and, and there's some other things we can talk about. Black. So here it goes. So, so I get all this stuff, but think about this now. I worked at the mental health one, right? right? Sometimes the patient would go off and I would take him down, right? Right. If I'm taking him down too hard, you would say, hey, John, calm down, man. Chill out. Right. Because you would get me back in my state. Of being baseline. Right. Why didn't these three cops put them back in the baseline? Listen to me, man. We got people around us. People are taking pictures. Calm down, brother. Right. Calm down. Get off them. Right? right? They didn't do that. It was almost like, so here's how I see things, right? I see things a little bit different from most. When we see people who are drunk and driving, right? Right. And they crash and they get and they kill a lot of people, right? Right. And themselves, right? Right. People say, oh, poor them. I said, guys. This is not his first time doing it. This is his first time getting caught or his first time getting into an accident. Right. This was not this guy's first time doing this. No, maybe he, he's already been involved in 13 I mean, deaths and 18 I, complaints. I mean, so maybe he put too much pressure on, on the net. Whatever it took place, it was not his first time. But what happened to the other guys? See? Well, there's the problem, too. As you break it down, right? First, First of all, I'll give you this breakdown and let me know your thoughts. Okay. Right. And we'll switch it to the part that gets me, right? Here's the here's the good part. Right. Right here, right? Mm -hmm. Again, we're going back to the Pepsi guy, right? And that's why 80%, this is an educational podcast. First and foremost, and we're getting everything out we can because if it's not you, then who? If it's not now, then when? So, Dr. John and I are giving you everything you, we got right now. So, it's a big learning opportunity. People learn a lot of things. 80% of communication is nonverbal, right? A, a picture's worth a thousand words. His facial expression tells me that he's enjoying this. He's loving it. 
He's loving having his neck on a black guy, and they're filming it. And, you know, guess what? You, you cannot do anything about it. I've had the nourishment. He's like a serial killer to me, right? He's like Ted Bundy. He's had the nourishment of killing 13 people without having any consequences for, for doing so. Okay? Okay. Right. Well, yeah. Well, that's, 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 that's what I see here, right? The other thing is that it's interesting. In Minnesota, of all places, there's a Shakespeare class. That it's a master's class. You get your MBA, and all they do is study Shakespeare. And Shakespeare said, and I'm a British lit major, Shakespeare said that the whole world, and I have a few questions, right, and then you can answer. But the first question, number one, is Shakespeare said that the whole world is a stage and we're merely actors. And for those on the podcast, I'll describe the way I'm dressed. I have a USA, people call it a Trump hat. I call it a USA hat because I have securities license and I can't advocate for one presidential candidate or another. I cannot be political, right? But I can analyze things from a business standpoint. But I do have a USA hat. I have a red tie. I have a jacket. And I have a USA pin on my lapel. If George Floyd is dressed that way, does he get killed, right? That's question number one. Question number two, right? And you're as a psychologist, and we talked about, okay, why, you know, we always hear, uh, and it was uh, NWA, right? The, the black cat showing up for the, for, the, for the white cop, right? And uh, chief of police is a white, it's an African-American guy who I am calling for him from a professional standpoint to resign because he should have read the files. So when I see this question number two, right? Uh, Question number two is we have this LGBT community. He's been fired as well, police officer. And I've had friends of mine. And it's funny because it's the same story. I've heard it on three different occasions from police officer friends of mine that they're working with a female, right? And I remember my friend going on the scene. He goes to this house. It was a drug dealer's house. They were going to do a raid. He was on the SWAT team. And he rode with a female cop. Shots were ringing out. So when you do not know where bullets are coming from, you stay in your slot car. So that's what he did. And my friend's like 6'4", you know, former college football player. So he stayed in the car. But he said that after a few seconds, the female cop said, screw it, I'm going, right? And we analyzed it. It's that she did that. It was a little bit more aggressive because she's a female. She's trying to overcompensate. So is the reason, we don't know the reason, right? But is it a high probability without having all the information, Dr. John? Because you are a doctor. And you have, you know, minor in psychology. So is part of the reason that she didn't do it, right? Political, right? We talk about how the decisions get made, right? And understanding the way other people make decisions, how entities make decisions, gives you, you know, they say a life unexamined isn't worth living. Well, it gives you a lot more insight to examine life. So is the reason that these cops did not act, right? It's because, especially in her case, LGBTQ community, 
highest form of discrimination is heist. She's short. So she's a female. She's short, right? And she gives all appearances of being part of the LGBT community. Is this the reason that she did not act? I can't say that. Okay, so, I mean. Right, right. I can't. I, I'm okay, going to say my determination okay, would but, be yes. Okay. First and foremost, I would like to always, I mean, it's almost like you, when you say, did you do your research? Yeah. My research is a psychological evaluation. Right, right. To see where she's at, to see of any mental health issues that she had in her past or anything else, is like that. And, and then look at her patterns that she's doing right now to, from the past 10 years to right now to see if the patterns. she was are, aggressive as well. The other people were like, what's going on? What's going on? And she's, you see her right there being aggressive and shouting down the people that are trying to actually save her job. If she would have listened to the people she's screaming at, she would still be in Florida now. Well, I think a lot of the, the people that were actually listening and watching is more passive aggressive. Right. Because they didn't do anything about it. Well, or they else? yelled, they screamed, well, they took videos, but they didn't jump in. Okay, now, okay. So I would like to think okay, I would have jumped in. Okay, so let me rephrase it. They sure. yelled and screamed at the audience. They yelled and screamed for everybody to calm down. But they didn't do anything about what the person who was on that guy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I thought you were talking about no, the crowd. No, You're no, talking no. about the cops. You know, I'm talking about the cops right yeah, now. Yeah. I'm like, that didn't take place. And listen to me. The, the, the guy who's on the neck, he's going to say that he was in the, the, he was in the mold. He, 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 he was in the... To, to me, it seemed that this is what he does all the time because this is his move. He was, no, he he's very comfortable. In he's his very move. comfortable, and, and he knows his he knows his moves. Almost like when you do um martial arts, right? And jujitsu, you, right. you practice so so much, it, it, it become a habit for you, right? Right. He done this already. I'm talking about the other cops. See, when you're gonna charge him, you you, you charge them all. Oh, you gotta charge them. Well, I would. Me, I'm, I'm a little different. I would go to ground zero. I would charge. Uh, at least fire. I would fire every single person in internal affairs. And I would fire the chief of police who should be reading the files. <laughs> Especially him. Him, he has, I don't care if I had to fight the union or whatever, he needs to be on a desk job. And, and I agree with you 100%. I mean, my biggest thing about it is, here's, here's a challenge thing that we have right now. Right. I, I don't care if the man's white, black, blue, or green. But remember my first question, right? If you stressed the way I am with a Trump hat, so, so, red so, tie, you know. Here it goes, man. If, if he was dressed like you, there's no way. And I give you many examples. I can go to a place dressed in sweats. They, the people will follow me. Right. Can I help you? Can I help you? Right. And people don't understand what it feels like. And I'm not playing the victim role when I say this, right? right? People don't understand how it feels like it's to be black in America. Right. Because we get our, our, our people of color in America because we get looked at and watched and, and followed all the time. Right. I dress in a suit. Oh, my God. They call me sir. I'm nice. I'm kind. And they're okay with everything because of the way that I'm dressed. Now, every day I don't look like this. And I choose not to, right? No, when I have to, I will. But my biggest thing about it, it doesn't make a difference of how the person look. Right. Treat them with respect. I don't care if he's a doctor or a lawyer or a freaking Indian chief. Still treat him with respect because that's how I was raised, right? Right. But the biggest thing about it is... I think from a business standpoint, uh, you do make a lot of money not judging a book by its cover. Because you don't know. The worst dressed people, smelly people I've met 
and then people with billions upon billions of dollars and you end up monetizing the relationship. I agree. People judge a book by its cover. What they did with them, what it appears, I can't say what they did. Right. It appears that they judged the book by its cover. They saw a big black man. High. He was high. It was not you know, good. I mean, so he, 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 he could have been on something. I don't know until they do the, his reports, right? Right. We don't know the stuff. But they saw him, and, and, they, and, and then they social profiled him. Right. Apollo said, listen to me. Let's put him in the car handcuff them, and put them inside the jail to figure out what's actually taking place. Right. There's a couple of things that, that they could have done is differently. I don't know what it feels like to be a cop, but I know what is what is what it feels like is to be a human. Right. As being a human, what they did was not, what was terrible. And then I tell people, so then people, this one lady asked me on Instagram, well, do you believe it's okay for them to loot and riot? And she was, her, her tone was of the black folks. And I explained to her, I said, it, it's not a white thing. It's not a black thing. It's a people thing. Right. I see white people. I see black people. I see Latino people. I said, I said, listen to me. I don't like them looting. I don't like them riding. Right. I don't like them setting fire with no race. But when you can put it on a race, then we're going to have the separation again. Right. And now we're separate. And at this thing is we should be together and figure out how to handle it as a team, not as an individual race. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I'm going to write it up. Uh, Harvard Business Review did a write-up, but I'm going to more uh, make it more palatable, more easy, quick read for you know the middle class and everybody to read. And it's the fact that the reason you hear Mike Pitts talking about diversity is that diverse companies and businesses make 40% more net cash flow than non-diverse. And something I'd like to ask you about, right? But something to your point that you just made that I've seen for years in my observations, but I noticed last night, up to 60% of the crowd last night, or even more, were poor middle-class whites, Hispanics, Asians, right, who get discriminated just as, remember, the highest form of discrimination is heist. So the, regardless of your race, taller people get more goods and benefits statistically than shorter people, right? And, and, I, and I stopped it here. You have a poor to middle-class white person, right, taking a video, and then going out and rioting and setting stuff on fire the last night, right? Last night, I would say only about 30 to 35% of the crowd was African-American. And I've always said, and I've always witnessed, and the statistics bear it out, right? That's why the big movement with Bernie Sanders is that poor to middle-class whites get discriminated against just as much as anybody else. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, is what I what most people look at is more social class. Right. When you are lower class, middle class, and most people will look, you're pretty much the exact same thing. Right. Right. And that's pretty much what it is. Right. I mean, so I mean, and as to your point, it's not a black thing. It's not a white thing. It's a people thing. Right. 
Those people shouldn't have been rioting. Those people shouldn't have set fires. Those people shouldn't have done any of those things, right? right. But what took place is there's two things of that were in relationships and deals. Right. Their emotions got too high. Right. Emotions make liars. Emotions get, uh, is. I, I've, I've, I've watched my Facebook friends, and right. they're going back and forth with this stuff. And their emotions are getting so high, and, and they're cussing each other at them. The guys, stop. Your emotions are getting high right now, man. Right. As you don't get, uh, you, you've been friends for 30 years. Don't let the, your emotions right. stop your friendship. Right. Right? So, and I believe with all this stuff right now, is the emotions are getting high. Right. Because think about it. We had the killing in Georgia. Right. We had the killing in Indianapolis. You have a killing in Louisville. Killing in Louisville. I mean, and we had the thing that happened in New York, right? Right. I mean, so you have all these things pile up, and we're on shutdown. Right. I mean, come on, guys. We're on this pan epidemic crazy thing. We can't do anything. I mean, in California, we're locked down still, guys. Right. We have no restaurants, no movies, no nothing, no weight room, no zilcho, and the world's going crazy. Right. And, here, and here's the sad thing about it. Well, I think, and I always have arguments with people about it, but I'd like to know your thoughts. The world's always been crazy. It's just uh, boiled over at this point. <laughs> well, you know, the, the craziness that's always been there is now boiled know, over and in your face. Do you know what I think? Now, if you look at this, because you're a business like I am, right? If you look at a successful company, right? Why is the company successful? Because of leadership. Leadership well, there's many. I think there's many day. reasons. So I would say maybe eighty percent of the time it would be eighty percent is leadership. You're absolutely right. Okay, twenty percent of the time could be a different things, right? Right. It could be anything. It could be luck. It could be luck. It could be. It could be. Won the lottery. Won the lottery, and your and your company's crazy, right? Right. If you look at the leadership that's taking place okay. overall, the leadership that we have, like it or not, because I'm biased about it, right. It's going to dictate the outcome. Right. So, so we have a leader, and these and these police officers are acting like the leader. I'll give you a great example: CNN right. reporters. They got arrested yesterday. Right. Really gonna arrest? They arrested reporters? fake news CNN. I can't believe they did that. But right. And I'm sensitive for it because you know how we started the podcast. My uh, mother is from Cuba, right? And the main difference, well, I'll give you an example. The reason my dad was in a concentration camp for uh, that time, that period of time, was because he did not have freedom of expression. He wanted to be a uh, Pentecostal uh, preacher, and he wasn't allowed to speak. So he was arrested. My dad was put in a concentration camp for three years. Uh, lucky CNN, they're only getting arrested. And, uh, no charges are going to come up because everybody's appalled. But everybody's scared, right? Everybody's scared. Really, I'm scared more for the 40, 50 years from now if this escalates. And well, you, you know, have somebody more competent. Well, you from, know, man, from the, yeah. to be truly honest with you, man, I'm scared right now. Yeah. I, I, I really, I'm, I'm scared right now. And as you know, I mean, I, was, I lived in the Midwest. Right. Indiana, Chicago. I lived in the Pacific Northwest. Right. I lived in five different states already. Right. You know, I am literally, I'm literally scared of this. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, I'm literally scared of it. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and I've been very fortunate. It's always better to be uh, lucky than good. 
And I've been, I've been very fortunate in uh, that I've been able to survive certain situations. We can even go, and I'll make sure everybody sees my um, episode on Hot Bench, which I'm just bringing people. I'm glad these people weren't cops, right? Uh, and you look at fear. So how do you handle fear? We'll close with that. We have mental strength. What would you would have done if you're George uh, Floyd? What do you do? You think about a positive event. Hey, I'm going to get home, right? Uh, maybe not have resisted arrest in the beginning, right? Never blame. We're just looking at ourselves if we're in that situation. And we'll close with this, Dr. John. Uh, I'll tell you how I deal with fear. It, I've been on both sides. Right? I have been on both. I've been a mentally weak, cowardly person. I really have. And then I was ashamed of myself. And then I came up with reasons that were more important than whatever fear I had. And then I decided to focus just what's under my control. So what is under my control? To read all those books that are in that bookcase, to ask people, to, you're the average of the five people around. Dr. John's a doctor, I have him around here. He boosts my average of the five people. Uh, applying what I've learned. I learn more from my clients than what they teach me. So I'm always learning because life keeps teaching, right? I can bench press 525 pounds very slowly. So I work out a lot because that's underneath my control. So I, I've come to that philosophy. And it doesn't mean it's right. And if you got something better, let me know. But my philosophy is uh, I'm going to eliminate as many variables in because what ensures the results are variables and covariables. So I'm going to eliminate as many variables and covariables from the result. And the result really is me making myself happy, uh, putting in the effort to have a good relationship with my wife, Anna, the psychotherapist, right? And that's the way I handle fear. The other part of fear was that I do a lot of CBT right, to deal with my depression. So I say, triggering event, key thoughts and beliefs, you know, always jump over my feelings to the positive conclusion, right? The mental strength is a positive conclusion, or what I call high probability conclusion, right? I jumped over the feelings. So I, even though I've been doing this now for 15 years, I still, my mind doesn't process, I still have to work hard in feeling. So I have to feel the fear, right? Because guys and people that say, oh, I don't have any fear. No, you're in denial of the fear you have. So you really have to feel the fear. And these shots and shootings by cops is terrifying. And uh, Matt Burt on Thursdays, who educates us, anti-corruption, local corruption guy, talked about that a lot of guys have PTSD when they were pulled over by cops. That guy elbowed me in the back really hard, right? I've been pulled out of a cop car and my head slammed to the door, right? And the way I dealt with those situations was I tried to be funny, humorous, right? Now I have a Trump hat, USA hat, 
a lapel. I try to dress as nicely as possible, right? And try to learn as much about law enforcement as possible. But you have to feel it. You can't subjugate it or put it in denial. You have to feel what for me is the terror. The other part of it is I've been on the other side. My wife and I have had to end a life. And it's funny, something interesting to have in common with somebody you married. We have had to end a life in a home invasion. So I wake up in the night, middle of the night, terrified about a home invasion. And I understand that I was very lucky, fortunate, and had good instincts or else I would have been dead in that home invasion, right? So when all this happens, I have a lot of PTSD. I have a lot of trauma, but you have to feel it. And I think right here, it's right here, man. I'm glad my life is an open book. I don't have any kids. So it gives me to be more risk taker. Right here's my diary. Right, write down all my feelings that I track. And I think it's very important for business owners to do this too. Of course. No, I... Two things that business owners don't do that they should always do is job descriptions. And I have yet to find a business owner or entrepreneur that has less than 15 items on a job description list, right? I'm like, oh, you got a great accountant. Why are you doing accountant, right? That's another story. The other part is, Track your emotions and feelings. A lot of people, I think I would have saved a lot of more divorces and stuff. If all these owners and everybody track your feelings, how are you? Because then you're going to anticipate the way you're going to feel. And you just got to be honest. Sometimes feelings aren't a word. They're like, Ugh. that's how you feel. Put that down and track. Yeah. And I track. So this is not the first time. This is Rodney King. Uh, Matt Burke talked about St. Pete, Tyron Lewis. Uh, I have a friend, and Dax could talk about it if he's on it. We had a friend in high school was a pot dealer who got killed in a home invasion. People told him where the safe was. I have PTSD from that. So all of this brings in all these PTSD. I got PTSD when uh, the, you know, the mob gave me a message to get a liquor license. So I have all these PTSD feelings and stuff going on, and the way I deal with them is feeling it. And then my solace that I go to, my mental strength, is that I have planned and researched to do the effort to put harness energy into what is under my control. And this is straight out of cover. You have it in successful people, right? Focus on what you can control and what you can control grow. So that's my focus. That's where my mental strength comes from. And that's the way I deal with fear. How do you deal with fear, Dr. John? So I deal with fear two ways, right? Um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to de describe what fear is right. to me. Right. Fear is false evidence that appear real. Or, since he did fuck everything in <laughs> right, okay. right, 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 yeah. So, you can curse on this show. So how I deal with my fear, guys, it's an adult show. I dance with it. Right. When fear come up, I welcome it. Okay, it's fear, and I welcome it, right? So I was in martial arts all my life, right? right? right. So. I took Taekwondo, I took Aikido, right. I took Muay Thai, I take boxing, right? So when you're taking Taekwondo and someone like punch you just with a block, 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 right? That's not the great way of doing things, right? And Hapkido is when somebody punch you, you go along with it. Right. And you go along as with all the emotions. So now you have more of, of, of a control, right? When I get fear and I get fear, I get fear a lot. I dance with it. I go along with it. Right. I'm like, okay, I'm fear. Don't know why I'm fearing. Let me go through it, and I'll figure it out. And the second thing, which I do, well, really the first thing, second thing, what well, I pray. I think 
and praise God up front, I give, I give him a complete praise party. Because when this fear is coming, it must be coming from something else. Or it could be coming from me, could whatever. I pray it, and then I just go along with it. And then eventually, like we said, track and measure, it might, it might not work out, and it might work out, and I learn from it. And then when it comes up again, I know how to deal with it again. Right. Because my biggest thing about it is, man, in my field, I have to walk my talk. If I want to do this stuff, and I'm going to teach this stuff, I have to show this stuff. Right. Right? So, I mean, you know, I got every certification you can actually imagine. Because I wanted to learn so much about how to help people out. Well, it helps with racism. I hate to say it, but it helps with racism. Because when you go to a job and you're going to get hired, you're going to go, are you qualified for this? Oh, yeah, here's my certification. Or here's my MBA. Here's my MBA. I mean, yeah, I mean, here's yeah. my series seven. Here's my series 63. Which one do you want? Oh, uh, and the other thing about a timeline and tracking, because I love parlays. And at this point in life, I love things that help a lot. Timelines and diaries, and you can see it with the Comey thing, helps with legal stuff. Because you have a timeline, you have evidence, contemporaneous evidence to get you out of a legal jail when they come at you. And it doesn't matter who you are. They're going to come at you. I agree. No, I mean, but that's how I handle my fear. Right. I mean, and, you know, and, but it's false. Fear is false. Right. I would disagree. I think sometimes the fear is real. <laughs> no. Sometimes it's real. I think 80% of the time it's false, but there's a 20% of the time where that fear is a real fear. And I think what you have to do is, I think Langswin, sometimes you have to, uh, what I love about uh, dancing with girls in Miami, mm-hmm. in, different than anywhere in the country, girls in Miami will come and take you by the hand and, and go dancing, whether you, as being aggressive, asking the girl to dance. Sometimes you're going to have to grab the fear with you and go to the dance with the, with the fear, because it, 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 what you fear is real, but, but, right, you have a better chance of winning, right, fake it till you make it, if you attack whatever it is you're fearing or obstacle in your way or change or, or, or yeah, there's always an or, right? right? And I agree with you 100%, right? Right. But also is when you're in a fear, how is your body moved? Your you don't body, think right. You're, your body you're the is 55%, brain. right? Right. When you change your body, you change your life. Right. So when you're in this fear state, how are you moving your body? Right. What are you saying to yourself? What's your self-talking? See, that's going to anticipate. So when I get in my fear state, what I do, I interrupt my pattern. Right. If you can't interrupt your pattern, you're going to be inside that fear state. Right. And it's going to feel real. It's going to be real to you. When you interrupt that pattern, then you go for it. Right. Everything changes. Right. And uh, we'll, we'll finish with this and those that can see it on uh, – the stream we're going to highlight it, and those on the podcast, it's amygdala. And he's talking about being the amygdala brain, and that's the fear part of your brain. And what you want to do is see people who are in that amygdala brain were the people that were hoarding toilet paper, right? They were afraid. And I'll share the screen. And that's part of it. That's, that's being in a fear state, Dr. Johnson. So you want to focus on your high probability event outcome to get out of that. And then you think better, you can perform better, right? But there's a final thoughts, Dr. John. But there's a big thing about it, right? Right. You have to break your pattern. Oh yeah. So imagine, now, I don't know if you guys still have these things. Imagine a CD, right? Right. 
Imagine a CD and you play it. It's going to play the same tune. It could be fear, depression, worry, stress. The same playlist that people right? would say these days. And, oh, see, see, I'm the old school, right? So if you take that same playlist and stretch it right. and play it, it doesn't play the same. Right. With fear, you have to do the exact same thing. You have to interrupt the pattern over and over right. and over and over again. And one day, when we do have some more time, I'll show people how to, how to actually interrupt the pattern. Right. And when you can do that, then you can dance with it. Right. Because now, as they always said, as soon as a monster is small, right. kill it. Right. Don't make it to be Godzilla. Right. And sometimes your fear is like a Godzilla. You can't kill it. Right. It's going to overtake you. Right. But if you can kill it when it's small, you're good exactly. to go. Fight your fears and your fear for die. And I always close with Winston Churchill, right? Uh, it got us out of the World War II, and now we're using him to get out of our pandemic, right? You make a life from what you labor, from what you do, what you make a life from what you give. Thank you so kindly for sharing, for making the podcast grow every single week since we started, right? Remember, you make a life from what you give. Thank you for listening to the I Love South Orange County Podcast in the ESBC Podcast Network, sports betting and finance. Yes, and take care and God bless. God bless. If you haven't heard of Anchor, it is free. It's a podcast that I use. And they really do a good job for us here at the GFSN betting and team report podcast. It helps us make 70 to 80% of your bets. Now, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started, my brothers. Dedication. Dedication.